It is good back to be back in what my children call Australia. So I grew up in the um, uh, uh, just at the other end of Mowbray Road, and indeed lived there till I was 26. And my sister still lives in our family home. And when we'd come home on sabbatical, we would um, stay there, and my children would go to Mowbray Public School and all the rest of it. So when we moved back in 2008 and moved to the university house in Wallara, any time we would cross the bridge, the kids would say, we're going to Australia. So, <laughs> and I have to say, it was a great privilege to grow up here, although we did not have men's cooking classes with matching wines. Um, in those days, it was rather different. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be here by your spirit. We pray that you would open your word to us. Father, speak very clearly and speak in our hearts. Father, where we need correction, be gentle, but persistent. Where we need encouragement, be strong and firm. But most of all, Father, we pray that you would draw us closer to your son, Jesus, that we would see him in your glory. These things we pray in his name and in the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, in the ancient stories, sages and villains are always looking for the secret of eternal youth. And in our culture, youth is worshipped. The Hollywood stars that look 40 at 70 seem to embody so much of our aspiration to defeat the ageing process, as the song has it, to be forever young. It's something that we all notice at this time of year as year passes into new year and we inevitably have a sense of ageing and of the passing of time. But I wonder, what is it that's so attractive about youthfulness? Well, certainly there's a beauty to youth, but as any decent photographer will tell you, there's a beauty to old age too. We associate vitality and strength with youth, but we also associate wisdom with age. Every time of life has its follies and its virtues. Well, I think the reason that youthfulness is so attractive is that for the young, all life is future. And the future seems exciting. While for the young themselves, the fact that most of life is future may sometimes seem daunting. For those for whom life can seem all past, the concept of life that's all future, all possibility, all hope is profoundly winsome. To be young is to live not in the past, but in the future. It's to live in a world of possibility. It's to live at a time when on the scales of life, regret and memory, things not quite done or quite achieved, are outweighed by hope and aspiration, by a sense that given time, all sorts of things might be possible. Again, that's a sense that gives shape to so many New Year's celebration, to the fireworks and to the parties and to the ridiculous kissing of strangers at midnight. It's a hope that the New Year will in some strange sense be full of future possibilities, that the old is behind us and the best is yet to come. Well, in his letter to the Philippians, I believe that Paul is calling Christians to be, in that sense, forever young. I think Paul is calling Christians to continue, even into old age, to forget the past 
and to look onwards to the future, but to do so with a firmer basis and with far better cause than your average tipsy party goer on New Year's Eve. I want us to take just one half verse in the passage that was read for us and to turn it again over and over in our minds, not only during this service, but all week and beyond in 2018. Paul writes, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is calling us to a future-oriented mindset. He's saying to the person in their 80s, just as much to the person in their 20s, you have far more of life yet to live than you've known already. Forget what lies behind and press onward, always looking forward to Christ, who stands just a little ahead of you, calling you onwards to his eternal future. And I want briefly to focus on the two parts of this call, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So first, forgetting what lies behind. Christian confidence is, of course, that whatever there is in your past, whatever sin, whatever disappointment or brokenness, God is able to deal with it, to put it to rest, to set you free from it. It's a bold claim. So much of who we are and will continue to be is shaped by what we have experienced and who we've been. We are imprisoned in memory, and memory often selected to focus on failure and disappointment. But the Christian hope is twofold. It's first that God can declare us clean, forgive us, and set us free from, the guilt, from our guilt about the past. It's that on the cross of Jesus, God dealt with the causes of our shame and regret. It's that whatever there is in our past that would hold us back, he can free us from its condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus, writes Paul in Roman 8. No condemnation. The past has been dealt with. The punishment's been paid. Well, have you asked him, to deal with your past? Or are you still clinging to the things of which you are ashamed and by which you feel condemned? Well, if there's anything of which you feel guilty and by which you feel bound, there is no better time to put those things away than at the beginning of a new year. Second, Jesus can by his spirit redeem our past in quite a different way. It's true that we are to some extent shaped by our past, but we are not to be bound by it. When Jesus rose from the dead, his wounds were still visible. We know that because it says that when he, appears to his, he appeared to his disciples, he showed them his hands and his side. But those things that had been the mark of his weakness had, by the resurrection, become signs of his glory and tokens of his victory. In the same way, the testimony of Christians throughout the ages is that Jesus is able to take the wounds of our past and to transform them, to bring them to resurrection so that they can be sources of healing and comfort for others. No one can quite minister to the broken, 
like those who have confronted their own brokenness. No one can quite minister to the suffering like those who have known what it is to suffer. The logic of the incarnation is that a God who permits the world in its freedom to experience pain and despair must enter the world of pain and despair to bring it back home. The logic of Christian ministry is that God can empower us to use those things of which we are most ashamed, by which we have been most hurt, as a source of comfort and healing to others. And sometimes the past is simply still too tender, too powerfully real to us to be used in this way. But the Christian hope is that God can not only set us free from our past, he can redeem our past and use it for our own transformation, for his glory and for the redemption of those around us. So God can help us to forget the past in this double sense. He can set us free from its burden, free from its burden of pain and guilt, and he can redeem our past. He can redeem it to use it for the good of the world for which he died. But the call of God is not only to forget our past, it's also to strain forward to what lies ahead. I love that verb, strain. It implies that the mindset will take our whole person, our whole wills, our intellects, and our emotional lives. We're to strain forward. And what lies ahead? What lies ahead for the 20-year-old and for the 80-year-old? If the answer is simply a gradual ageing and death, then there's not much to strain towards. We're born dying, and dying doesn't take too much effort. They give birth astride a grave, says Beckett. But the Christian hope, the hope of the resurrection, the hope without which, as Paul puts it, we, have all, uh, we are to be pitied more than all men, is that the future is not only death. From its beginning, Christianity has been, somewhat embarrassingly, what is sometimes called an eschatological religion. The Christian confidence is that our powerful intuition, that things have a point, that they have a meaning, that they're going somewhere, is justified. And that the proof that they are is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus really did rise from the dead and did so as the guarantee that death is not the final word and that God is committed to putting all things right in this world, then there's a future towards which men and women can strain. If he didn't, then they'd better not strain towards the future at all. They'd better, with all the medicine and exercise and Botox and anti-aging cream and stubborn fantasy that they can muster, put the brakes on, defy time, and slow the steady decline into a black abyss of nothingness. There's no other choice. Either the future is a future in which God is putting all things new, the palingenesia, the re-beginning, or the future is merely entropy, a slide into non-being both for us individually and so the physicists tell us one day for the whole universe. Well, I believe that our stubborn intuition that things do have a meaning, that hope is justified, point to the reality of the resurrection, point to the reality 
which is sealed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There is a future towards which we can strain. And the future is Jesus, who stands there waiting for us. It's a world remade, resurrected in him. A world we can't yet even imagine any more than non-being can imagine being. Any more than it would have been possible before the creation of this world to imagine its existence. If that's right, if there is a future towards which we can strain and the future is Jesus who stands there waiting for us, our duty is to strain to live and to work and to think and to relate and to worship and to love like him. And our duty is just as strong when we are 80, our expectation as sure as it is when we are 20. There's not much point to accumulating stuff when you're in your 90s. While it's just as pointless in your 20s, its futility is even more demonstrable at the older that you get. But there is still, in your 80s and in your 90s, enormous value in investing not in stuff, but in relationships, in prayer, in knowing God better, in worship, in kind words of encouragement, in building up the body of Christ, in finding and loving and serving the people of Willoughby. It's worth doing that right up until your last breath. These are future-oriented activities that are of permanent value. They're building not a past or a present, but a future that's endlessly exciting. I want to be an 80-year-old who's still straining for the future, still straining towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to be an 80-year-old who's confident that the best is yet to come and that I have far more to look forward to than I've yet known or imagined. When I try and picture what that means, I'm often reminded of the last verse of the hymn, Jesus the Name, High Over All. It goes, happy if with my latest breath I may but gasp his name, preach him to all and cry in death, behold, behold the Lamb. So the challenge as you come to the beginning of this new year is to ask yourself how you might die whether in 2018 or in some future year. Will you die clinging to the past, nurturing regress, regret and nursing your wounds? Or will you have given the past to Jesus, allowed him to begin to work on it and be looking eagerly forward to a life in his world reborn? It's not an easy question to answer. It's easy here. Like the child in Sunday school who knows the answer to every question is Jesus. It's easy to answer here. But it's not easy in life. Our strong natures draw us back and not forward. But the Holy Spirit can help us to forget the past and to strain towards the future. Do you dare to ask that he might do that in your life? 
Do you dare to put the past behind you and to strain towards the future? The past is known. The past is known. But, but for knowing Jesus, the future is unclear. But will the beginning of this new year really be the beginning of an adventure moving forwards towards a future that is unbounded? As the new year opens, can you forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead? Let's pray. Ah, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the dawn of a new year. We praise you for the, the possibilities that there are in 2018 to serve and know you better. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't be people who live in past glories or past disappointments, but that we would be people always straining towards the future to know and to love you. Amen.